Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you guys today. Um, We're at the beginning of a a new season and a new series this morning that we're going to be doing for the next uh, several months. Um, Just we—I mentioned this last week before uh, Casey was talking about the the, our youth ministry uh, cultivate 3G and kind of unveiling that and talking about the new things that are going on with them is that. Um, we're really in a season of renewal um, and rebirth. And, and I mentioned a few different ways that I've been seeing that last week uh, that have been encouraging to me. And, and that, that was kind of our, I mean, I, we didn't know where it was going to lead in, for, in terms of 2018, but we knew that God was calling us to kind of a redependency on Him. And obviously, as we're more and more dependent on Him the hope is that he would live his life out through us and that we would see new birth in, in a number of different ways. And we've seen that happening consistently throughout 2018, which has been a huge encouragement to me personally as we begin our seventh year together. Um, but one of those areas of renewal I just wanted to, to mention to you is that we have, even right now, I, I don't see him up here because I think they're still working out some of the details uh, downstairs, but he will be up here. Um, is that we're, we're actually um, undergoing a transition in our finance team in the way that we handle our, our financial picture as a, as a church. And, um, and I've, I was hoping he was going to be up here to say this, but Andrew Roche is actually going to be taking on the leadership of our finance team. Um, and so pray for him. <laughs> um, and uh, he's going to be putting together a new team uh, to, to handle our financial future, and we're really excited about that. We've been praying about that for some time, and he prayed through that with his family and, and felt God calling him to that. So we're really excited for kind of a new day uh, and some, some new opportunities there. So, um, yeah, just so just wanted to mention that. As, as he does get a team together, uh, eventually what we'll do is we'll have him come up uh, maybe even with the team, and we'll we'll actually lay hands on him and and um, pray for him and commission him for that work because because um, he's going to need the spirit to do it. So as we all would. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm excited for what God's doing in our church family, and uh, I, I'm excited for 2018. And I'm also excited for what He's going to teach us in the next several months. And what we're going to be doing together is we're we're actually going to be going through the Book of Ephesians together, um, and we're going to be on page 814, that's the beginning of, uh, of the book of Ephesians, the letter to, to the church at Ephesus, um, and we're calling it this beautiful mess, and I'll, I'll explain why in a second, but just to give you a little bit of background on, on the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul, and it's Paul's um, invitation to a community of people that live in a city to enter into a new community, this a new human community called the church. Uh, we often talk, when we talk about what it means to be the church, we, we often talk about what the church is not around here because of so many of the, kind of the baggage that comes along with that word. We, we often say that the church is not a building, it's not a program, it's not a Sunday meeting, it's not uh, a, a, an address, it's a people, Right? And so throughout this series, this is going to be the question that we're going to ask over and over and over again. What then is the church? 
what is the church? And it's a great time for us to be asking that question because, as I said, we're experiencing a lot of renewal. And, and we're seven years into this journey together as a church. And so it's a great time for us to, to look back at this question and go, okay, now, for our future, what does it mean for us to be faithful to this calling, to be this new human community that God is calling to himself? And Ephesians is actually the best place that we could possibly look at it because it is Paul's master class on what it means to be the church. It's his magnum opus. It's his, it's the crescendo of everything that he would want to teach us about what it looks like to be the church. And here's what we find out. That the church is to be a new human community that is unmistakably marked by two things. You know what those two things are? Mess and beauty. It's, it's the colliding of those two ideas, those two things together, that, that even in the midst of our messy lives and this messy world, that God is drawing out from that world to then send them back in a community that would be beautiful because of the good news of Jesus. That's the church. Beauty in the midst of mess. And, and which is great news because we are messy people, which means if we're messy, we get to participate. We're not on the sidelines just because we're messy. In fact, the church and the gospel are for messy people like us. And maybe you're just getting to know us as a church. Maybe you're kind of new to our life as Cultivate, and you're thinking, man, like this is such a great group of people, and I love this community, and there's so many things that God is doing here, and I, it's just the perfect place for me to be. Give us a chance, because <laughs> we will disappoint you. <laughs> um, we're going to let you down, because we're messy. And yet, God is making something beautiful out of our mess. He's making us into something beautiful, something that the world des- desperately needs to see and experience. And so, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read through the, the first eight verses in Ephesians. I mentioned it on page 814. Um, And what we're going to see is that the church does not begin with um, what we do. So oftentimes we think of the church being what we do. We sing, we preach, we fellowship, we evangelize, we all these terms that we throw around of things that we primarily do. And Paul, when he starts to talk about the church has nothing to do with what we do and everything to do with what God does to us. That's the beginning of what it means to be the church, is that we get off the track of trying to do for God and we realize that he's done a whole bunch for us. And so I want you to pay attention as we read through these things. What do we see God doing for his people? And then we're going to follow up with that uh, in just a second, okay? So Ephesians 1, verse 1. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. All right, so let me ask the question then. What do you see God doing for us, for his people, to us? There's a lot of terms in there. It's okay if you don't understand the terms, but what did you, what did you see? What made sense to you? He chose us. Now, the beginning of our life with Him doesn't, doesn't begin with us choosing God. It's, it begins with Him choosing us. Yeah. What else? He adopted us. He adopted us. We're sons. Yeah. He's forgiven us. Yeah. He has forgiven us. Did we, is there anywhere where it says we've asked for it? No. And yet he's forgiven us in the one he loves before we've even asked. What else? He's redeemed us. He's ransomed us out of captivity. Yeah. He's, he's getting us ready for eternity with him. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. I'm surprised nobody said the first word. He's blessed us (laughs) with every spiritual blessing. What does that mean? (laughs) Here's the thing. It turns out that, that what that means unlocks everything else that you said. To be blessed with every spiritual blessing. And this is what it says in verse 3. That God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. That means family. If you are part of His church, I don't mean just going to a building, but if you belong to Jesus, if you are His, then this is the big truth that you need to realize. And and it is a truth that will radically change the rest of your life. There's a claim, right? Pastors and preachers are really good at making claims like that. Um, I really believe this one. <laughs> that if you understand and grab hold of this claim, it will change everything about the way that you live from this day forward so long as you remember it. That God has already blessed you with every spiritual blessing. You are blessed. Now what does it mean to be blessed? Um, what do we often think the word blessed means? What's that? What do we think it means? Yeah, circumstances. That God, you know, that, that we're blessed with material possessions or good health or, you know, we're given a blessing. What else does it mean? Uh, yeah, we're in a good mood, right? Yeah. Yeah, how are you today? I'm blessed, which usually means I'm having a good day. 
as opposed to a not so good day. Or think of it like when we try to bless somebody else, what do we often say? Bless you. Like we're, we're wishing them well. We're sort of kind of hoping that they have good circumstances, right? We're, we're hoping generally that their stage of life and their things that are happening in their life sort of improve like one tick up the ladder. That's what we mean by it. That's not what he means by it. it actually, if you think about what the word blessing means, it means to, to have received every joy and every benefit that your heart and soul need and long for. Do you feel that way this morning? That you have already received from God absolutely everything that your heart and soul both need and long for. That if he gave you nothing else for the rest of your life, regardless of the circumstances of the rest of your days, you would be able to say, I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Would you be able to say that? Some of you are snickering. (laughs) And for good reason. Because we don't believe that. We really don't. But that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, if you belong to Jesus, then you've already received it. It's an incredible claim. And so here's the, here's the, it's either true and you don't believe it or it's not true. And you shouldn't believe it. One of those two things, you should walk out of this room believing one of those two things. But you cannot walk out of this room thinking that it might be true and yet continuing in unbelief of that reality. It's either true or it's not. And if it's true, it changes everything. And that's the whole reason that Paul starts this this master class on the church with this idea that we have been fully blessed. See, but oftentimes, I, I think we, we think that what it means to be blessed is circumstantial. And so we look at the circumstances of our life and we go, what in the world is he talking about? Because when I look at the landscape of my life, I see brokenness in my own heart. I see brokenness in my relationships. I see brokenness in my profession. I see the loss of loved ones. I see the, the anger and hatred and conflict. I see all these messy things. How in the world can he make a claim like that, that I've received every blessing and that I have everything that my heart could ever possibly long for? Doesn't God see my life? And the answer is, yes, he does. And yes, he has already given it to you. Because here's the deal. This blessing isn't found in our circumstances. It's found somewhere else entirely. Look at verses 3, 4, 6, and 7. It says this over and over again. This is where this blessing is found. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing where? In Christ. For he chose us, where? In him. We've been, he adopted us, where? In Christ Jesus. He has freely given us in the one he loves, that's Jesus. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Over and over and over and over again, Paul says, it's found in him. It's found in him. It's found in him. And he, 
tells us it's found in him, and yet we look back at God and we go, I don't see it. It's because we're looking around us and we're not looking up to him. Because the truth is, when you become a believer in Jesus, when you rest in him, when you come to him, when you give your life and your heart over to him, here's what happens. God places you in him. He puts you in Jesus. And do you know what that means? That means everything that Jesus has is now yours. You've done nothing. And he's given you everything. That's the gospel. He gives you everything. Now, here I'll give you an example. I married up. It's no secret. <laughs> but one... <laughs> But one thing that was true about us when we got married is that neither of us had a nickel because <laughs> we were both students, right? And, and, and so when we got married, you know, neither one of us had, I mean, at least Mandy had a job. I was just going to school. And so I, you know, that was every spiritual blessing at that point in time in our marriage. But now imagine that, that you're about to get married, but the person that you are about to get married to is incredibly wealthy. They just, I mean, there are no end to the zeros behind their bank account. And you get married to this person and you stand and you pledge your life to them and they pledge their life to you. What happens to your bank accounts? The zero that's on the front of the, you know, uh, the before the one in your bank account... <laughs> now gets a whole bunch of zeros behind that one. And you've done absolutely nothing except for hitch yourself to the right person. Everything that is theirs becomes yours. They've done all the work. They had all the intelligence. They had all the, the, the status. And what happens? Everything then is transferred to yours and it becomes yours though you did not lift a finger to do it. Family, it's the same for us who are in Christ Jesus. That when you believe in Him, you are united to Him, which means at the moment of belief, before you've done everything, and on the altar of your salvation, where you're pledging your life to Him, all of these things become a reality that were not so before. So look at Romans 6.4. It says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Did any of you die on a cross? N no. Did any of you get buried for three days and then rise again? No. Jesus did all that. And yet all of that accomplished now gets transferred to you. What does that mean? It, so we're buried with him in death, which means that Jesus died to pay the penalty for our rebellion against God. And since we are in him, guess what happens? That penalty is paid. You don't need to work the rest of your life to pay off your debt before, your, before God. You don't need to go into some place called purgatory to, to 
finished the work over the course of hundreds or thousands of years to pay God off for the rebellion that's in your heart. It's done. It's finished on the cross for you. It's all in your bank account. That debt has been wiped away forever. And so now you can walk the rest of your life in the in freedom of condemnation, which is now yours forever. And we're raised with him. When Jesus was raised from the dead, it was his triumph over death as the victor. And when he rose from the dead, he was victorious over death, which means now his victory becomes our victory. You know what that means? It's as though though every medal that were pinned to Jesus' chest now gets pinned to yours as well. All of his accolades, all of his well-dones, all of his good and faithful servants, though you did not walk in obedience to any of those things, they get pinned to your chest as if you're the medal winner. As if you came in first place. It's amazing, right? You're in Him if you've given your heart to Him. And so now everything is yours. It also means, family, that that if you're in Him, then guess where He is? He's in you. It's reciprocal. The moment you get placed in Him, He gets placed in you. And we we talked about this at Easter, which means He comes and lives in you by the power of the Holy Spirit, which means He he reveals all these things to you. So even now, as I'm saying these things about what's true in Christ, there's something happening in your heart which testifies to the fact that they're true, right? Right? As I say these things, you died and you're now free from condemnation. He rose and now you're victorious with him over death. There's there's something in your heart that bubbles to the surface and starts beating faster and goes, yes, I know that's true. I know it's true. I don't always believe it, but man, it's so glorious and I want to live in that reality forever and ever and ever. Guess who's doing it? I'm not just playing on your emotions this morning. I'm appealing to the Holy Spirit that lives in you. I'm doing. And it's that spirit that testifies with your spirit that you belong to him. That's such good news, right? And it means that all that comes along with his presence in your heart, you get God's power and you get his presence and you get his ability to change your life. Not your feeble attempts at rubbing two sticks together. You get the fire of the Holy Spirit that comes in and burns you and refines you to make you new. Isn't that good news? You don't have to rub two sticks together anymore to see change in your life. You get to receive the fire of what He wants to do in your heart as you give yourself over to Him again and again and again. Because He's in you. And all of this happens the moment you are put in Him, the moment you receive Jesus. I get so frustrated at Christians because Christians have this so backwards. We, we think that the Christian life is this long process of slowly changing our lives up and getting ourselves clean and and sweeping the mess underneath the rug that maybe if I go to church enough and I pray enough and I read my Bible enough and I curse less or whatever the markers are in my own heart, if I do all these things correctly, then God will receive me at the end of 
my life. And we think, I'm becoming a Christian. I'm trying. The gospel says, will you stop trying already? You're either in me or you're not in me. If you're not in me, then none of these things apply to you. You have no spiritual blessings and you are still dead in your sins. But here's the good news is that this offer is constantly available to us. That we would be found in Him. That we would give ourselves over to Him. And then at that moment we get it all. We get it all. It's either all or nothing. See, I I think the issue is we, we spend our whole lives trying to improve. We think that we're like a fixer upper. We're like a diamond in the rough, you know? And man, if, if someone were just, like if Chip and Johanna Gaines were just, if they just walked by our, the house of our lives, they would see the potential in us and they would get to work and they'd kind of help us overcome the ugliness so that we can become the beauty that we always dreamed that we could be. That's not the gospel. You know what the gospel is? Jesus walks down the road sees the house of your life and says, I can do a better work than this house. And he comes in with a leveling ball and he blows the whole thing down. And then he constructs by his own power a brand new building that never stood there before. You're not a fixer-upper, friends. You're in need of a whole new home. All of us are. I'm speaking of myself included. We needed Jesus to come and die for us. We don't just need renovation. We need salvation. We were dead and He made us alive. We were lost and now we're found. We were blind and now we see. Jesus comes and He says, I can do better than improve you. I can replace you. I can be a new you if you'll let me. Uh, think about what this means to, what does it mean to be a Christian then? Because if you think, I mean, think about this logically. If you think, okay, the work is done. It's finished, right? Every spiritual blessing applied to your bank account. He's made us new. What in the world do we do now from this point forward? If we're not improving, what are we doing? I would actually love for you to, what, what do you think? <laughs> What are we doing from this, this moment forward? What is the whole deal of following Jesus all about then? If it's not continual improvement. We spread the word. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. We die to ourselves. You know what that means? And I'm just going to put it in a different way. It means growing in the belief that God has already done to us everything that needs to happen. It's dying to our old way of life and receiving, which means believing, what God has already done. You will spend the rest of your life in a struggle to believe what is already made true of you in Christ. That's the battle. It's not getting better. It's not improving. It's not showing God what you're made of. 
It's getting you out of the way so that he can replace you again and again and again. That's growing in belief of the gospel. And that's what your life and my life from this day forward, if we're in Christ, is all about. Every day, from now until eternity, is actually believing what is actually true. And the moment that we believe it, guess what happens? We start to become someone new. So I got to ask this on the front. Are you in Christ? Are you in him? For some of us, like me, we can point back to a day and we know the day and the hour in which it happened. And it was like a lightning bolt that came into our life. And we're like, yes, I know exactly when that transition happened. For people like my wife, it was a process. It happened over time. And she can't look back and go, oh, yeah, it happened. You know, I think I know the year that it happened. But I can't pinpoint the day or the hour. But the point is, all of us should be able to look at a time and go, yep, I know when it happened. And maybe that's recently, as recently as today. Who knows? But there there comes a day, there comes a moment where we go, I am... I am ceasing from the effort to try to improve and I am trusting now in the work of Jesus Christ and his blessings forever. See, you have to be in or out. You can't be sort of in. It would be like me telling my wife, I'm sort of married to you. It's not going to go well (laughs) for either of us. You're either married or you're not. You're either in him or you're not. Which is it? For you, and if you're not in Him, the doors are open to you, my friends. The table is set. Come and dine at the beautiful blessing, at the banquet of the Lamb that He He wants to lavish on you. And here's what happens, and this is how you know it's true, because we we have a case example in Paul of the kind of transformation that happens. You get to actually be like Paul. I mean, think about Paul. He was a murderer. He dragged Christians off to be executed and put in jail. This same man then becomes a follower of Jesus. And what does he do? He goes to the very same churches in which he would have gone there to drag people away. And many of those people had friends and relatives who were drug away by Paul. And now Paul is sitting at the banquet table among the people and going, yeah, I'm one of you now. (laughs) <laughs> and, then, and then he has the audacity to say this in Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You think Paul's living with regret over his former life? Do you think he's living with shame over the actions that he had before he encountered Jesus? It doesn't seem like it. And yet so many times when we live our lives, we, we replay things that we've done or that others have done to us and we live out of the regret and the shame and the blame of those instances all along our life and we keep holding on to those things and yet you look at Paul and Paul is completely free. How did it happen? Look at the end of the verse. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul tells the Philippians church somewhere else, it's not, he, he, he says, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And to the Philippian church, he says, to, to, to die is Christ, to live 
to, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ. Paul's going, it's not, you're not looking at Paul anymore. You're looking at him. All of my condemnation died when he died for me. It's gone forever. Now, that's why I said it's going to take us a lifetime to believe this. Because the, the way that we grab hold of that same reality, that, that there is now no condemnation for us, there is now no shame for us, is that, that we, with the help of the Holy Spirit, actually need his, we, we need help to drill that truth into our minds, into our hearts, so that we, with all of our strength, would begin to believe it. And the whole reason that God is in you in the first place by the power of His Spirit is to remind you of these things. Jesus promised it in John. He said, I'm going to put the Counselor in you and He's going to remind you of everything I've said and everything that I've done. And so even that, like, stop trusting in your own ability to remind yourself and start calling on the Holy Spirit to help you in it. And watch what He does. So what does this blessing look like? What, what, what comes along with being in Christ? We've, we said it's found in Christ, but what does it look like? And Paul names a couple things. He says it looks like adoption and it looks like redemption. Adoption and redemption. So look at adoption in verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. What does it mean to be adopted? It means that... That God who was not your father before is not just a king. He's not just a lord. He's not just your savior. He's your dad. He's your father. He loves you like a dad. Which means now, in a renewed way, if you're in Christ, you have access to him like nobody else does. I mean, think, think of the, like if your dad is like the greatest king who ever walked the, the earth. Think if you had a dad who's a king and he's got a kingdom and he's got soldiers and he's got armies and he's got wealth and he's got power. Now, if you're just Joe Schmo walking into the kingdom and you say, I demand to meet with the king, what happens? Nothing. <laughs> you sit at the gate for a very long time and nothing happens. Now what happens if you decide, you know what, I'm going to go see him anyway. And you go running into his throne room and try to jump on his lap. You get speared. (laughs) Or shot. Or executed. You can't just come into the king's throne room and do that. But what happens if you're his little girl? If you're his little boy? What happens if that same king has adopted you into his family and you have no appointment with the king. You just walk right up to him. In fact, you run up to him and you jump into his lap and nobody does a thing. Why? Because the king says, this is my son. This is my daughter. He, she has access to me in a way nobody else does. And you realize you have that access? Do you realize the incredible price that was paid to give you that access before you did anything to earn it? I think so often, like how much do I take that reality for granted? 
or I think somehow that I need to say I'm sorry 27,000 times before I can jump into my dad's lap and experience his loving presence. Or I think I need to go and do this work or that work and, and I can, if I do those things enough, then I can enter into his presence. No, no. His throne room is open. He, he, he's there. In fact, he's off the throne, kneeling on the floor, arms wide open, waiting for you to run into them. You have access. You also have inheritance. Paul says that we're adopted to sonship, which sounds kind of like, you know, ex- exclusionary of women. But in Roman times, sons were the only ones who got the inheritance. They were the only heirs. They got all the property and all the wealth of their father. And and so the Bible is saying to us, both men and women, you are sons. You are heirs of everything that belongs to the father. It's all given to you. Adoption also means security. It means you're secure in the family. Because the price has already been paid to bring you into the family, you're never going to be unadopted so long as you're in Him. No matter how much you screw up, no matter how messy your life gets, no matter how big a mistake you make or how many people you harm, if you're in Christ, I mean, I think, man... Oftentimes I think I live as though God is my boss and not my dad. And I think, man, I better not screw up three more times because if I, two more times, okay. Like I'll get reprimanded and then I'll get a demotion and pay. But then the third time I'm like out on the street. And so I got to live my life in such a way that I don't get on his naughty list. God's not your boss. He's your dad. Do you know how much dads put up with with their kids? Do you know how long suffering they are with their children? And those are evil dads according to the Bible. How much more so is our heavenly dad? You know what else a dad does? He disciplines his kids though. He disciplines them, which means... You know, circumstantially, you look at the landscape of your life and you think, there are days when the circumstances are good and I feel blessed, and there are days when the circumstances aren't quite to my liking, and those days I don't feel blessed. And what Paul is saying is, you are blessed both on the days when things go well as well as on the days that things that are not going your way. And guess what adoption means on those days where everything hits the fan? He's using it for your good because dads discipline their kids. Which means that nothing falls off the table of his sovereignty and, and is unexplainable in, in, because everything now is a tool. Even suffering that doesn't make sense to you today will 10,000 years from now, you go, oh my gosh, I can't believe what he was doing in my heart that day. I can't believe his grace and how wonderful it is to know God and experience him and be close to him without sin, without shame, without pain, without fear, without death. And all of those things that you've experienced along the way that you thought, 
never, ever will they fit into a grand plan of God to, 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 for me to experience His grace in a new way. He begins to slot all of them together. And you look back on those and you think, now in the light of an eternity with Him, all of those things just made this day even more glorious in light of those. All these things are beautiful blessings that God has already secured for you when you're adopted, you're in Him. He also redeems you. Verse 7 says that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, and according with the riches the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. You've been redeemed. You know what that, that means? You've been purchased from slavery. Um, Tim Keller tells this great story. He was a pastor in New York City uh, during 9-11, and he said that in the days following 9-11, he was with his church, and he was actually giving a sermon, and he parked his car outside as he was delivering the sermon, and they were clearing the streets in New York City because they had to get you know, all these debris trucks and, and everything through the streets, and they just towed his car away. And, um, and he, you know, he goes, like, during a sermon, you know, like, is nothing sacred anymore? And so he, he goes to the place where they took his car, and he realizes that the place where they took his car and impounded it is called a redemption center. And he goes in, and um, he pays the $180 fine or whatever, and they stamp his ticket, and instead of stamping it paid, you know what they stamp it? Redeemed. And he goes, you know what that $189 was? It was a ransom, darn it. (laughs) I had to to liberate my car from slavery in order to get it back, and I had to pay a ransom to do it. Uh, That's a funny story, but it does illustrate the point that What it means to be redeemed is that we're released from slavery through the paying of a ransom. See, deep down, all of us know that we're not really free. Not really. That we're in bondage, that we're slaves. We're slaves to popularity. We're slaves to love. We're slaves to status and power and security. And we crave these things. We need these things. If you say that you don't, I'm... One of the things I always tell people is if you don't think you're in bondage, go to another country and watch how they're not in bondage to the things that keep you in bondage and then that will make things abundantly clear. Because you, you go to a place like Haiti and you, you know, see the, the things that they, they, their day-to-day, everyday existence and the fact that they don't have the things that we do and, and you look at the, you know, the freedom that they have as a result of that and you go, wow, I am really enslaved. And then you come back to your grocery store and you look at all the, you know, the, the abundance that's there and the, just the incredible choices that you have and you go, do I really, do I really need 50 choices of cereal? You know? We're enslaved. We're all in bondage. Now they're in bondage too. They're just in bondage to different things than we are. But then we look at Jesus and we realize that what we see in Jesus is someone who has no bondage. He's the freest man who ever lived. He's free from the need for power. He's free from the need for security. He's free from the need for approval, the need for love. He's, he's got it all. In fact, 
you can tell he's free because he's just giving it all away to everyone around him. Because he has unlimited resources. Now, how do we get his kind of freedom? How do we become like him? And the answer is not just read about him and then try. Because that just makes the problem worse. And in our heart of hearts, we know that we're all doomed to fail. And yet over and over again, this is, I mean, this is what we do, right? We use things in our life to, to cover over our brokenness. We're enslaved to approval, but we continue to try to cover over that need by making sure that we're approved by others so that nobody knows actually what's going on beneath the surface and the slavery that we're experiencing. And we think, whatever that is, if it's good work or if it's our career or family or our beauty or a girlfriend or a boyfriend, if I just seek after those things, then that will redeem me. That will cover over the brokenness of my own heart. Don't you realize that when we run after those things and we turn to those things to cover ourselves, you end up being enslaved by the very things that you look to for freedom? Do you realize that happens to you? I was just thinking about that. I mean, we're again, I mentioned we're seven years into our church experience. And, and here's, the, here's the tendency for pastors like me. It's to, in our, in our thought process that we are somehow serving God, we become tempted to turn our churches into our method of salvation and redemption. You think, how in the world is that possible? Here's how it's possible. We begin a church, and we gather people into it, and we begin preaching sermons, and we begin praying, and we begin doing all this effort. We begin groups, and we begin outreaches, and and we we start all these things, and we organize people, and we send them out. And, And at first, it's just activity, and at first, it's all driven by God. But here's the tendency of the human heart, is to turn every single one of your activities into ways to save yourself. And you know it's true, because here's what happens. If, if, if I'm secure in Christ and things go badly for our church, I'll be upset, right? If we had to close our doors tomorrow and I had to walk away and find something else to do, I'm going to be anxious about that. But if the church is my method of redemption and it doesn't go well, what happens? I'm a failure, I'm a wreck. I'm lost. I'm without hope. Why? Because I'm putting my hope in the church to be my form of redemption. To be the thing that says to me and to the world, I'm okay because I succeeded in something. You know, I was talking to the pastors in Haiti and guess what? They've got the same issue. The same thing that's going on in my heart is going on in their heart too. Because none of them want to be a failure. All of them want to serve God and all of them want to be a success and all of them, deep down inside, want to be known for it. It's just as true in my heart. Here's the bad news. (laughs) This isn't just something that pastors deal with. It's something that moms and dads deal with as they look to their kids as their redemption. It's something that employees deal with as they look to their work as their source of approval. 
It's something that students deal with as they look to their grade point average as the way to know that they're okay. It's, it's going on in your children's hearts. And in, I mean, if you have a child who's just an overachiever at life and, and wants to knock everything out of the park no matter what, guess what the tendency of their heart's going to be? They're trying to gain your approval because if they have your approval, then they know that they're loved and they feel redeemed. It's an issue of redemption every time. We look to absolutely everything to be our Savior, and there is only one. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. He paid our sin, and through his blood, we have it all. Do you see how it's an issue of belief and not progression? Because if Jesus' blood was already paid to redeem you from all of those different ways, he shed his blood once and for all. It happened 2,000 years ago. He's not going to shed it again. He doesn't need to. Which means it's yours in Christ today. Which means you have access to it. Which means you don't need to look to those other things. Which means that the real struggle of your heart is an area of believing what's already been done. It's all about belief. See, on days where we don't feel it, when we don't believe it, and those days are many and plentiful then we're probably looking in the wrong place for our redemption. We're probably looking at our circumstances and not his blood, which means we we have to realize that God shed his blood for us while we were still sinners. And the more that you revel in that reality, the more that you get realigned to it again and again and again, here's what happens. You get free you get free like Paul's free. Because then you realize that nothing can compare to his lavish love for you. Nothing holds a candle to it anymore. See, here, the amazing thing about all of these spiritual blessings, all of his love for you and his adoption for you, all of, the, all of his affection for you as his sons and daughters... It's as secure now as it will ever be. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In fact, when you stand before him, when you get to eternity, and you look at Jesus face to face, he won't love you more on that day than he does today. He won't. Because he already loves you with a lavish love. It's not going to be a greater love that day than it is today. And yet it's going to take you the rest of your life to believe what I just said. Because the day that you know that love fully, the day that I mentioned where you stand before him face to face, do you know what's going to happen when you actually believe it? You're going to be perfect. Perfect. You're going to be spotless. You're going to be perfectly happy, perfectly confident, perfectly courageous, perfectly content. Now here's the mind-blowing thing. 
The reason that you're going to be perfect on that day is not because you happen to be in a place called heaven. It's not because your circumstances improved. This is shattering. The reason that you are going to be perfect on that day has nothing to do with the fact that you are now surrounded by pearly gates and golden roads. Do you know why you're going to be perfect? Because you'll actually stand before your Savior and you'll perfectly believe in His perfect love for you. And you'll realize on that day, it's all been true. (laughs) The whole time. From the moment I believed through every mistake and every sin for every day and every moment, I'm standing before my Savior and now I realize for the first time The whole time. It's been true. The whole time. And in light of that perfect belief in His perfect love, you become perfect. That's the reason you'll be perfect in eternity. Now if that's true, family, why not believe it more today? (laughs) Right? Why not? Claim it more today. Believe it. Work it into your heart more right now in this moment. Why not make this moment the moment where you grow in your belief so that you become more like what you'll be on that day? This is why I said this is the key to life. You know, the, the life that you always wish that you could live, the, the person that you always wish that you could be, you can, be, you can begin to become that person through believing what's already true. That's the glory of the gospel. And here's what happens to you. When you actually start to believe it, verse 6 says that once that happens, we begin to live to the praise of His glorious grace. Another way of saying that is that we become worship leaders. We become worship leaders. When I came to faith, I thought that you needed to play an instrument in order to love Jesus. Because I moved into a house, and everyone played the guitar. <laughs> I'm like, is this a requirement? Like, do I have to learn four chords and buy a capo in order to, <laughs> in order to like do this thing called the Christian life? Um, And some of you are thinking, I can't sing very well, or I can't play an instrument. But the the reality is, you worship all the time. You were built to worship all the time, and so you do worship all the time. Something is receiving your worship. I love the analogy, you're like a garden hose that's stuck on. And water is just shooting out of it. Sometimes it shoots more than than on some days than it does other days, but something is getting wet with your worship. Something is receiving your praise. It's just a matter of who or what it is. And it's the same with your life. You're a worshiper and you praise. That's what you do because you value things. And this is what Paul is saying is when you understand that all of this beautiful blessing has come rushing into your heart the moment that you start believing it, you turn the hose on Him. You turn the spotlight on Him. And your whole life, not just your Sunday mornings, 
not just when we sing songs together, everything now becomes to the praise of his glorious grace. Your home and your money and your stuff and your family and yes, your mouth sing and witness to the fact that God has done all these things for you in Christ Jesus. Family, when you believe it, you will not be able to help that worship coming out of your heart and affecting your life and affecting the lives of those around you. Here's my challenge as we close to you. I would love for you to take one aspect of the blessings that we've talked about this morning. Union, being united with Christ, being adopted into his family, being redeemed by his blood. Take one of these aspects and this week make it your absolute mission to grow in your belief of it. Which means you might have to study it, you might have to meditate on it, you might have to pray and ask the Spirit to reveal it to you. You should probably discuss it with other people or tell others about it. Make it your mission to grow in belief in one of these areas and watch, record, journal what happens to your heart when you do. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to come back next week and we're going to sing his praises. And we're going to speak of the ways that we've grown in our belief that we've taken hold of that truth and what it's done to us. Does that sound like a good plan? This is what it means to be the church. It starts with him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this enormous blessing that in Christ we have everything that our hearts have longed for. Everything that we've searched for is now Ours. We're adopted, we're redeemed, and thousands of other blessings that we haven't even touched the surface of this morning. It's all ours, Lord. Help us in our unbelief. Remind us that we will stand before you perfect in the understanding of this love and help us, Lord, open our eyes right now to the reality of what you've already done. Make us worship leaders, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.